Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Dr. Janine McConaughey is our speaker for the evening. Uh, let's welcome her. She's going to help us this evening as we hear from the Lord uh, what he wants to speak to us about. Amen. I'm just glad to see who was moving that because I was going to run into it. I get the bonk. Um, those of you who've had me in class know anything is possible. Um, um, before we begin, I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Father, just speak through the words that I have to say, the words that I prepare, the thoughts that I have. Um, each individual in this room has a message that you want them to hear. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and give me the message that you would have me speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there room for the cross? This is a story of our family cross. It begins not with the cross, but with moving. Now, any of you who know me, know that we just move a lot. Uh, we've moved six, six times since, we've, since I came here to NBC. It's, every one of those is a long story, but uh, it's par probably partially because I just moved all the time growing up. My husband, Scott, he did not. He lived in the same house. But uh, we moved regularly, and uh, I have a friend who's been married over 30 years, and except for one apartment, they've always lived in the same house. I don't know what that would be like. I can't imagine it. Um, but I digress. My mother collected dishes. Now, I know you think I'm still digressing because I was going to talk about a cross and moving, and I'm talking about dishes, but if you stay with me just a minute, it'll come together. When she moved the last time, before her final move to heaven, which was the best move of all, the movers dropped a box full of dishes. Crash. My dad saw it happen. His heart sank. Oh no, whatever it was in that box, it's gone. He knew that the box of dishes were all broken, and he was right. So he decided to make a mosaic cross with all of the pieces. Well, actually, I, my, my dad, who is 96, he was a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene for over 50 years, and he lives with me now. So as I was writing this, it occurred to me, why? Why did you decide to make a cross? So I went in to ask him. He said, it wasn't my idea, it was your mother's idea. I said, oh, why? Why did, he said, I don't know, and we can't ask her now. So we don't know why she thought he should make a cross. But, uh, he did. He was left with the job, and he always had, he was always building, so he always had lumber around. So he got his lumber out, made a cross, and then started cementing the broken pieces of dishes, which were actually beautiful, onto the cross. 
The result was amazing. And when I went to visit them, there was the cross. And I loved the cross. So when it came time for them to close up the house, I told my brother I wanted the cross. So he kept it, like a good brother should, in his hot Scottsdale, Arizona garage for two years, along with several other boxes of family treasures that I had to leave behind. We tried several times to uh, go get those belongings. And, and there's, if you move the slide one forward, there's a picture of the cross, actually. There we go. And uh, we tried several times, but we just couldn't get there until about a month ago, and we just had to make it happen. So my brother packed it all up into his car, and he took it to his condo in the White Mountains, and Scott and my dad and I drove down to his condo, and we rented a trailer, and we brought it all back. The day he was packing up to take everything to the condo, he texted me the following message. All stuff except the cross fit in car. Everything fit but the cross? It was Sunday morning and I had been thinking about this chapel when God sent this message to me. Well, really my brother sent the text, but God sent the message. And I immediately knew that this was the journey that I needed to start on. And so my thought and prayer journey began. During my journey, I reflected on three multi-part questions. The first one was, what did Jesus and others say about the cross before and after the resurrection? The second was, what was and is the cross in the life of the church to this body of believers and MBC? And the third, what are we without the cross or if the cross is left behind? Now, before I begin going through the questions, I would like to make it clear that the writings on the subject of the cross are ginormous. Some people don't believe that's a word, but actually it was added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary in 2007, and it really is a word in the dictionary. Uh, I googled cross and Jesus, and I got 206 million hits. I cannot even begin to explore the topic in any deep or thorough way, but I can focus on what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart and what happens when we leave the cross out of that picture. Now, I'd also like to say that I'm stepping out of my comfort zone by addressing this topically. Topical studies can always leave you open to, well, did you think of this verse? You know. Well, no, I didn't cover the whole Bible. I just, And so I stuck with the New Testament and an overview of the cross. References to the cross can be found in tw 28 times if you use the NIV. About one-third of these are parallel verses. Now, you know, we talk about the cross all the time. Cross, the cross is such a central focus to everything that we believe. Surely the cross is there more. Well, it is. It would appear that there's not very many references. But often the cross is alluded to without saying the cross. So, in Nave's topical Bible, 
It breaks down the references to the cross in three categories. Jesus crucified on, carried by Simon, and figurative. So what I'm going to do in answering the three questions is to focus on the first and the third category in, and try to address the questions. So the first question, what did Jesus and others say about the cross before and after the resurrection? Jesus only refers specifically to a cross once before his resurrection. And this was the verse that I, that I took for this evening. So we're going to say it together because you need to participate. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I was raised in the Church of the Nazarene under Wesleyan thought. And the cross has always been connected to self-denial, the idea of denying self. And this is supported in Wesley's own words. And this is a little bit long, but if you listen to it, it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. If any man be willing to come after me, none is forced, but if any will be a Christian, it must be on these terms. Let him deny himself and take up his cross, a rule that can never be too much observed. Let him in all things deny his own will, however pleasing, and do the will of God, however painful. Should we not consider all crosses, all things grievous to flesh and blood, as what they really are? As opportunities of embracing God's will at the expense of our own. And consequently so, as so many steps by which we may advance toward perfection. We should make a swift progress in the spiritual life if we were faithful in this practice. Crosses are so frequent that whoever makes advantage of them will soon be a great gainer. Great crosses are occasions of great improvement, and the little ones, which come daily and even hourly, make up in number what they want in weight. We may, in these daily and hourly crosses, make effectual oblations of our will to God, which oblations, so frequently repeated, will soon amount to great sum. Wesley just has a way of putting it that I thought bared repeating. So I began to wonder, do we view this word from the standpoint of post-resurrection, when we think about this verse, we have a frame of reference that, that isn't always available. What did the disciples think when they heard the word cross? The word in Greek that is translated cross does take on the literal meaning of the cross upon which Jesus was crucified, but it also includes figurative meaning. Exposure to death, i.e. self-denial by implication, the atonement of Christ. But if you look at the root word for it, it takes on the meaning to take a stand in the presence of others, particularly leaders, judges, Sanhedrin. 
I thought that was so interesting that that specifically named who they took a stand against or he took a stand against. Is it possible that taking a stand, denying self, sacrifice are so intertwined that they cannot be pulled apart? Apparently so, but while doing this, I want us to remember that taking a stand is part of this because we don't want to lose that part. In the second set of verse, verses pre-crucifixion, Jesus does refer to his impending death, but not specifically with the word cross. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. He said it right there. Don't you know that it just went... Do you, do you feel like that in class sometimes? <laughs> you know, we're saying it to you, but it's going right over your head. <laughs> I think that's exactly where they were. After the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, Jesus does again allude to the cross, but without mentioning the word cross. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, understand that in all of these references, our, our frame of reference is post-resurrection. It is really hard. I talk about this with child development. It's really hard to understand how a child is thinking because we don't think like that anymore. You have to go back into it and figure out what were they thinking, not knowing what really was going to take place. So then we go on to the second question. What was and is the cross in the life of the church to this body of believers and MBC? Paul, in the letter to the church at Colossae, gives, in my opinion, the best summation of what the cross meant to the first believers in church. When you were dead in your sin, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What does this say to us? Because of the cross, we who were once dead in our sins are now alive in Christ. All of us, student, faculty, president, staff, the cross leveled the playing field. We who are followers of Jesus were and are all the same at the foot of the cross. Second, our sins are forgiven and in the past. That doesn't mean those sins before we came to this campus. It says all. That means that if God can forgive all sins, then we must do the same. Christ nailed the law to the cross. What does that mean? We no longer live under the law. We should live above the law. The law actually makes us less than what God intends for us to be. Jesus showed us a higher road by nailing the law to the cross. He died in order to bestow grace, abundant grace, given freely to all who believed. Fourth, the powers and authorities of this world 
should not be the final word in how we live. We should not follow them to find meaning in our lives. Jesus triumphed over them by the cross because, and here's where this word comes in, he took a stand against them. So what is the cross to us? I just kept thinking about this and thinking about this. I needed to understand this, but I had to understand what the cross was to Jesus. I thought about this for days. And I can tell you the exact point in the parking lot where it hit me. The cross was his purpose. We would say it was his calling. He was born thinking about the cross. He studied the law and saw himself in the sacrifice that would take away the sin of the world. He knew exactly where he was headed. The cross was his purpose and calling. Now the disciples didn't get this. We often, once again, impose post-resurrection knowledge on them. We've spent centuries dissecting what really happened at the cross, and yet we expect them to have understood before it even happened. They did not understand the purpose, the calling that brought Jesus to earth. Yes, it was talked about by the prophets, but remember that over your head thing. That's exactly where it went. How could they understand? So when Jesus said, take up your cross, going back to the verse, when he said, take up your cross, what did that mean to them? We think about it entirely different because we are past the cross. They absolutely did not think, I mean, I wasn't in their head, but they could not have meant, thought that it was the literal cross. Their uh, reactions to the crucifixion kind of testify to that. Underlying the meaning of the cross is the idea of taking a stand. Maybe that was what they thought. Maybe Peter thought he was doing exactly what Jesus intended when he cut off the soldier's ear. That was taking a stand. The problem is that we do not understand if, that when we do not understand the purpose or calling, we do many things that just don't fall in line with God's intent. The disciples were an amazing demonstration of this, and so are we. Just to name a few, a few examples. Judas got his eyes on the money when Mary Magdalene anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. Focus on financial matters. Judas denied Jesus as a result of total, complete disillusionment when things did not work out like he thought they should. Focus on self and how we can solve the problem. Peter cut off the ear of the soldier. Focus on power. We can make it happen. And the mother of James and John brought, thought that it would be a good idea for her sons to each sit at the side of Jesus, and they didn't stop her. Focus on prestige. So if the cross, just like the cross was Jesus' purpose, if the cross is our purpose, our calling, or mission, then there's there are many ways in which we can flounder when we lose sight of the cross. We can focus on financial plans versus God's provision, our life and daily plans versus God's plans, our power versus submission to God's will, and our prestige versus our service to others. If we don't understand the purpose, then we're sidetracked. And when this happens, harmony dissolves into discord. 
in a friendship, in a family, in a classroom, in a church, in a college? And this is the answer to the third question. What are we without the cross, or if we leave the cross behind? When I got that text from my brother, I was distressed. Because though there were many other purposes for the journey, bringing the cross back had somehow taken on some kind of figural meaning for me in my life, one that I fully didn't fully understand at the time. But the cross was being left behind. Fortunately, later that day, another text arrived. We got the cross in too. I was so excited. They got the cross in too. Interesting, the journey for the cross took on a new meaning, which I'm still contemplating. When, due to the hot garage and cross-country transport, pieces of the cross fell off, and some of them were lost forever. So now we have to um, wait for a plate to break? I, I don't know what, what we need to do. Uh, but for now, I am focusing on what it means to leave the cross behind to degree, the degree that it just doesn't have room in our day-to-day -day lives anymore. If the cross was the purpose for Jesus' entry into the human scene, then for us the cross is our purpose or calling. That thing that God asks us to do that makes our life different from every other person. Before we know that, we are somewhat like the disciples before the cross. We are following Jesus, but without focus. When we understand God's calling on our lives, we are like the disciples after Pentecost. If all of Christ's present-day followers, including myself, were daily focused on the cross, God's purpose for their lives, our calling, we could change the world just like the disciples in the first century. In Hebrews 12:2, Paul says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus focused on enduring the cross in order to see the cross from the other side. But the cross wasn't just incidental. It was essential. It was the thing he was here to do on earth. It was his calling, his purpose, for everything he did. God also calls each of us to a specific purpose here on earth. Sometimes it's general, such as in the Great Commission. But other times, very specifically, it is the focus of this calling that you must keep before you in order to endure the hardships on the journey. Without the focus, the emphasis will become Finances, power, prestige, self-initiation. This is true of a person, a church, or a Bible college. So what is your focus right now? In these difficult times, is it finances? Is it power in forcing others to conform to your way of doing things? Is it prestige in being accepted as a leader in your circle of influence? Is it your plans for how you're going to make success happen? Jesus says... Focus on the cross, the purpose, the calling he has for your life. Pick up that cross and follow him. Is it a sacrifice? Probably at some point. 
But just as Jesus scorned the shame, we can scorn the tribulations because of the joy set before us. Haven't you wondered how Jesus lived among humans? This is sometimes a monumental task all by itself. I have a coffee mug. I love that coffee mug. Actually, I bought it for Scott, but I kind of stole it back. Um, I think Jesus could have carried this around. It says, work with me, people. <laughs> Don't you think he felt a lot like that? He also dealt with being misunderstood most of the time by almost everyone. He, yet he set his sights directly on death on the cross. Endured the pain, faced death with a victorious shout. His focus was not on earthly situations. His focus was on his purpose, his reason for coming to earth. My father, who was an avid writer of poetry, um, read what I, what I have, and he, he wrote a poem, and I, I have a piece of it that he wrote in response to this. Jesus found strength in the very act of surrender. He had come to earth with a saving service to render. It was so hard to face his cross, but remember that he came for this purpose regardless of it being arduous. Arduous, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Its synonyms are difficult, hard, tough, laborious, grueling, demanding, strenuous, and onerous. In other words, it is completely possible that your calling or purpose might not be easy. That's the antonym of arduous. So how do we make it through? Um, I, I think all of those words define getting a college education <laughs> right there. <laughs> I don't know if you went there, but I have a feeling that some of you did. Uh, we can weather the trial and look beyond the cross to the joy set before us because we know what our purpose is, we know what our calling is. We don't have to be entangled by those things which cause dissension and turmoil. We dare not leave the cross behind. Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you give each of us purpose and calling and that you were willing to go to the extreme, to give up your very life, to come here and live among us, to die on the cross through suffering and pain so that we could see the cross from the other side. Father, we thank you for that. We, we're sorry for the times that, that the simple day-to-day -day things that cause us frustration get in the way of our purpose, of our calling, and we simply leave the cross behind. I pray that you would prevent us from doing that. Help us to know our calling, our purpose. Help us to know exactly what we're supposed to be, exactly what we're supposed to do here on earth, be it general or specific. I pray that you would just speak in every heart, help them to know that they can go through any trial because you have led the path. 
Thank you. Thank you for doing that for us. Amen. Amen. Let us all stand and sing your response. Man, you're dismissed.